0: Hello, beautiful, light-filled souls. I am so excited to be here with Lisa Romano. She is someone who has helped me so much on my journey. But beyond that, uh, she recently has been voted the most influential person of 2020 by Digital Journal and one of the top 10 most inspirational women of 2021. And I agree. <laughs> like, I was so excited when they said this. And her work, she specializes in codependency and narcissistic abuse recovery. But what I love about it is the spiritual elements, the meditations. And if you haven't heard of her, oh my God, go subscribe to her YouTube channel right now and, and you will lose yourself in a wealth of information. But thank you, Lisa, for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. For you.
0: yeah, so my first question is a lot of my people who follow me Are interested in near-death experiences and spiritual awakenings. And and yet I also talk about being an abuse survivor. I had a narcissistic mom and of course some narcissistic relationships along the way as it as it happens, even after a grand awakening. Because I was young. I was a, a young woman when this happened. So some of my followers have experienced the same thing. And what do you say to people who've had this? moment where they felt that love of God, their consciousness opened up, and they just want to come back and love everyone, but then they run into abuse.
1: Yeah, I I think that it's very important that, and I too have had a near-death experience myself, but I also think it's really important that those of us who have this experience and we feel so open up to universal love, like we get it, like we shouldn't be fighting, we should just be loving one another. But we forget that not everybody else has had that awakening. And we forget that when it comes to narcissism, by definition, they do not change. They're stuck in the 3D world. You have had the near death experience. So you've been liberated while in body. And now you know that there is something more than just this 3D, 3D reality. And then you think, you come back, you take this beautiful awakening and you bring it back to this 3D body that you have with the same mindset that you have, and you think, oh, the answer is so simple. All I have to do is love other people. And I think it's a very simplistic, nice way to view the world, but not very realistic, in that you can love someone from afar, or you can love someone, which is very helpful, or you can think because you're not understanding narcissism or abuse or trauma or flashbacks because the brain becomes involved. You, if you think that you're gonna be able to love a narcissist enough to make them change, that's um, a fantasy because what a narcissist does is they see somebody who's highly empathic and that becomes a source of narcissistic supply. So while you're being drained and drained, I'll just love, I'll just love, I'll I'll help them find the way. You're just being drained of all of this amazing enlightenment that you have benefited from and you're not channeling this wisdom in the way that it will best serve yourself and even the world.
0: Great point. And when this is taken to like a deeper level in organizations, so spiritual organizations, you can see that sometimes people are gaslit if a narcissist attacks them within a spiritual community and you say, Hey, uh, I'm being attacked by a narcissist. And people say, "Oh, we've got to love everyone. Keep giving them power." <laughs> what do you What do you say to
1: that? <laughs> I just did a, a Facebook live stream today, where you know we have to remain objective, and that's why I think knowledge is very powerful. So you have, if you understand what narcissism is, and you understand there that a narcissist will seek narcissistic supply in the form of admiration, praise, fear empathy or sympathy, because it's a power over. And they um, essentially annihilate, minimize, and marginalize other people's experiences, especially their experiences of the narcissist, right? And I think that the self-help community can do a much better job at helping victims of narcissists feel validated and empowered with the ability to have the right to say, this is how this experience made me feel. Rather than jumping right into, we have to forgive everybody. Because asking me to forgive someone is asking me for instance, a stack of potatoes that I don't own. Just the word forgiveness, I'm giving you something, but I don't own it yet. So what am I forgiving? The pain, what you said, what you did, the experience, all of the pain that it caused me, all the trauma that it caused me. But if you're invalidating that trauma, how am I supposed to forgive anything? I haven't even been allowed to validate it yet. And that's what it is with invisible wounds. And that's why there are so many people like me and yourself trying to give victims of these invisible wounds a voice to feel heard. This really does happen. When you get a black and blue, everyone goes, oh, you poor thing, you know, because I can see it. How narcissistic is that? So I can see your wound, therefore it's valid. But I can't see your wound, therefore it's invalid that is a complete lack of empathy now there is it gets very it gets very complicated that's why i think logic and reason is so important right so if you're highly emotional that's all, that's fine but you need to be if not more logical about your emotions right so if there is an imbalance then you know that if you're too logical you might need to be a little bit more emotional if you're too emotional you need to be a little bit more logical so our brains our hemispheres are synced. So now that I'm tuning into my own divinity my intuition and I'm making logical decisions about the way that I feel, and you can't talk me out of it because I know that this is based in logic and reason, and I'm not going down the rabbit hole with the narcissist, right? So I think that's really important. Um, and so I, I just hope that that addresses the question oh it does
0: and this makes me wonder do you make meditations to help people get out of those high emotions and into more logic because that's what the brain needs in order to open to that divinity is to calm down a little and realize like oh hey i do have that link to universal love uh this situation is a little crazy in front of me i need to tune in to that divinity
1: well i think that what's different about the kind of meditations that i do is i believe that we have to get to the emotional pain first Right, so it's sort, and I learned this very. It's, it was crazy to me, but I when I started learning about child psychology and the different, I, I just did a side by side comparison between the way that I grew up in a healthy home and in my home we were invalidated over and over and over and over. And then I did this side by side analysis and reading about Eric Erickson's stages of emotional development, and like children are supposed to feel seen. Right, so when they're six months and they're crying for a bottle or whatever, and the diaper's wet, you change them. You, they feel seen. When a child is one and having a temper tantrum or two, we're supposed to validate them, give them boundaries, but teach them how to calm down. Right, so but we do that through the validation, through the witnessing. I see you. Okay, you're upset. I hear you. It's okay. I never got that. I got you're crazy. I got what's wrong with you. Right, you, that should that doesn't bother you. You you don't know what's really a problem. You wanna cry, I'll give you something to cry about, that type of a thing. And then at four, when my daughter's four years old, she comes out of the bedroom and she's her hands are folded, I'm so mad at you, but I was wiser now. So I said, why are you angry? I was inquisitive, I was seeing her. And she said, because you said that I was gonna be able to have ice cream after school and you forgot. And I said, you know what, I would be angry too. I validated her and I said, tell you what, now I'm looking for a solution. How about we'll write a note on the table. So tomorrow after school, after you do your homework, then you can have the ice cream. And she said, okay, good night, mommy. Over, done, process the anger. It was poof, done. Mm -hmm. So my meditations are designed to help people get in touch with that inner child that's been voiceless, that's been invalidated. So we have to validate the emotions in order for for, for us to be able to logically deal with why we were that emotional in the first place? So I don't spiritually bypass. Mm. Yeah, you know, my meditations rip the bandaid off. It's true. You're gonna. F- oh my god, I do feel that. Yep. Yeah, let it come up. Let it come up. Let it come up. Let it come up. Let it, let it. Let it. Let it come up. It's okay. It's okay. So I teach people how to stay in their body, while they're actually, mentally and emotionally and cognitively and spiritually validating this pain rather than running from it, because that's what the brain's designed to do.
0: I love that. That makes so much sense. You know, it's sometimes. When you haven 't been seen that 's a wound that 's very hard to process. It can take so long. I remember the first time I was in therapy, and a therapist said i don 't like your mom." And I was like oh she 's been through so much, oh my God, that woman i 've got to take care of her." you know like all of my my whole life was centered. Around her needs, her emotions—like that's how she trained me to be—and for someone to say that she wasn't a good mom just like blew my mind open. But it took many, <laughs> it took many, many years to get to this point of saying,
1: "Oh, I was never seen. Right. I was never there." And sometimes it's just like um, that's—it it feels like such a smoking gun. You know, and you know, once we give ourselves permission to accept that our parents weren't perfect, right? They weren't perfect. My mother's mother was an alcoholic. Her father was an alcoholic. He beat my grandmother, right? I mean, my mother's life was horrible. That's valid, but those, that trauma impacted me. So I just need to find an ability or give myself the right to sit in that space not invalidate my inner child's experience. Just for a moment, hold the space for my inner child so I can process mentally, logically, and rationally why I felt so invisible, why was I so reactive, why was I so codependent, why did I acquiesce, why did I think that love was conditional, why? Gaining the knowledge, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, that was me. Suddenly, being codependent made complete sense. Being in narcissistic relationships, oh, it was like my brain auto-corrected itself. Oh, the world is holographic. Mm -hmm. Patterns exist. A peacock gives birth to a peacock, not an apple tree. An apple seed becomes an apple tree, not a banana tree. But unlike human beings, we have the the ability to become the hero of our own story and not become our mothers. And
0: sometimes that is tough, painful work and we do it in in a variety of ways. And one thing that touched me early on in your work is you're reaching out to people who were afraid to have kids, you know, because of what they had been through. And that was me and I'm, I'm close to 50 now, I never had kids. And I love it that you are working with people to overcome that.
1: Yeah, because it's not, it's not fair, but it's also to me, it's like such, it's such a loving thing. It's like, it's like a weird experience, but I think it's important to validate people that feel that way. You loved a child somewhere so much that you, in ch- ch- some cases, chose not to have children in fear of causing that child pain. I think that is such a beautiful thing, as odd as it sounds, but someone is willing to say, I'm not sure that I'm not going to be able to do this perhaps. Or I'm afraid that somehow this is going to get recreated in a child's experience through me. And it terrifies me. And I just don't want to take that. I think that's, that is, that is a form of love.
0: Yeah, it, it is. But the work that you do to help younger people get over that and realize that they would be a totally different parent and do that healing and then just live their lives fully, you know, that is beautiful work. So...
1: It's great when we have someone come through our program and they get, well, sometimes women come in the program, they're not pregnant, they find themselves pregnant and they'll say something like, I feel so much better now because now I have the tools. I'm already loving this baby. I'm already making sure I'm not not going to pass this on. I mean, it's a beautiful thing because you can overcome it. You can reparent yourself and this does not have to continue.
0: Yeah. And some of the fears are irrational too. Like I believed I would be a good parent, but I thought, what if I got sick? What if my back went out? What if my mom was the only person who could help? What if I died and I didn't have support from you know my partner's family, then this kid would be raised by, and I couldn't wrap my head around that possibility.
1: I, and I, I think it's fair, especially if you grow up feeling unseen, especially if you grow up feeling alone. It's that this idea of Having a child be left behind and alone is very real, right? I have that real. I have that fear. You know, I'm married and I still have that fear. My husband's like, relax. Like, I'm still <laughs> white-knuckling it a little bit. Like, you know, like, what if something happens to me? You know, because I feel like they they rely on me so much. So I I still have the fear of what if. And I think if you grew up feeling supported and it was the poem was predictable, I think it would be easier to trust. So to me, to me, this distrust and this fear to me makes total sense considering the background. So besides
0: meditation, what do you recommend to people healing that deep mother wound? Because it is a deep one for, for women and for men in oh, different my, ways.
1: Absolutely. Well, I think meditation, it's, it's the gateway because what happens is we're stuck in rumination and the default mode network is real. It sits behind the eyes um, and- what we feel in the subconscious realm we're reacting to, consciously or unconsciously. So we're all 95% unconscious, 95% of the time. So I might meet someone and not even know I'm seeking that person's validation and fearing abandonment at the same time. So if this person you know, dislikes me or doesn't call me when they say they're supposed to, I might feel terribly wounded. And that might not have nothing to do with them, but because this wound is unresolved, It feels a whole lot more dramatic than it it has to be. And we walk around. So it's important that meditation is awesome, but we have to understand the purpose of the meditation is to walk through a door, to open a door into a subconscious mind. And then we have to really tether ourselves this idea that I'm operating from patterns and programs and that which is unresolved in me is going to come to the surface. It's going to want to work itself out. So I think journaling prompts are incredibly powerful. Surrounding yourself with other people that understand your pain. Definitely psychotherapy with a qualified therapist is going to help. Knowledge information. For me, slowing down the mental field and learning to witness what I was witnessing was huge. Like, why did I just say that? Why do I feel that, you know? In my class, I asked people, I said, one of the exercises is, is that a codependent thought? Or is that a non-codependent thought, you know? Why are you making 200 cupcakes for the kid's class when the teacher asked you for 35? Are you seeking her validation? Do you wanna be liked? So it really is learning to observe on such a deep level that you're constantly monitoring yourself. And then when you find an action or an intention that's tied to the mother wound, offer yourself self-compassion, love the inner child and say, you don't have to do that anymore, you are enough. I am safe right here, right now. Everything that I need, I have. Everything's working out for me. I am self-sufficient. I don't need to acquiesce. I don't need to seek validation. It's developing that type of a mantra. I
0: I joke that I just sit with myself for a while, (laughs) that I just, I literally just sit with myself. If it takes two days, it takes two days.
1: I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think giving ourselves permission to feel what we feel is huge instead of like, cause we lie to ourselves automatically. No, I don't feel that. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, everything's okay. It's not okay. It's not, if you're in pain and this is, this is really bothering you, you're not okay. And, and giving yourself two days to like just kind of like work it out. Yeah. It could take me up to three, four, five days to like work out a funk, you know, where, but there's this period of just feel it because in the feeling, I'm not denying it and I'm allowing it to come up. And it comes up in the weirdest places too. Like how? <laughs> well, a couple of years ago, uh, we have, I was involved in a pretty terrible smear campaign and it was right after my mom died. And I got a letter that just accused me of things that I, I wouldn't even repeat. And it was so horrifying Um, and in my opinion, it was very reactionary and unnecessary, but this person was triggered and I kind of got the brunt of it, you know, um, and a lot was projected on me in my opinion as sort of like this mother figure to people, you know, like, so it got, it was a bit of a a rabbit hole, but it was so profound. And I remember reading the email and I stopped breathing And I stood up in my chair and I went out into the kitchen and my husband looked at me like, what's wrong? And I almost collapsed. I couldn't catch my breath, it was visceral. And then that evening I went in my shower and I just started crying and crying. And I kept hearing this voice saying, what is this about? What is this about? It was so familiar to be persecuted and to feel misunderstood and to have someone project their stuff onto me like my mom did. My mom had just died. And this experience just triggered the whole grieving process, unresolved stuff. And many daughters of mothers who are not well are projected upon. You suffer your mother's mother wound. You are their child. They resent you for needing them. They resent you for, for they know on some level you're supposed to be able to need them, but they resent it. They can't cover it up around around you they might be able to cover up around other people but you feel it it's resentment it's anger you get persecuted and so it was very triggering for me the mother wound it came up but it was an opportunity for me to heal something that was left over and surfaced right after my mom's death and through this experience I was able to bless it and let it go and I actually ended up feeling more whole but it was sort of like you know there was still a rat left in the basement and this experience was like oh there it is there's still some more of this stuff that i have to release and it ended up being a beautiful experience
0: so what is your advice to people who are in the public and get attacked like that or, or do you get projected upon that's that happens i'm, I'm aware of it it's happened to me
1: yeah it, it is it's so difficult i think you get better at it as it goes along you're human you know you're out there trying to you know create a mission-based business You know, you've, you've been able to, um, create a business around your mission, which is helping improve the quality of people's lives. You have information that is helping people understand themselves, which I don't think there's anything more noble is to seek to understand yourself. Someone like you actually puts yourself out there. You're vulnerable. You're telling your story. That's a beautiful thing, right? So you have to give yourself permission to be vulnerable, you know, um, But there are people out there that are going to want your attention, want your sympathy, right, want your empathy. There are going to be people out there that are angry when they feel like you haven't delivered to them what they expected from you because they put you on a pedestal. And then when you turn out to be human, that doesn't work for them, right? And so that triggers their anger and then they project their abandonment onto you And you have to be very very careful about boundaries boundaries are very very important you know and that's why meditation centering yourself reading whatever empowers you stopping yourself three i stop myself three four five times a day where i just stop just hit the pause button stop the thoughts because the thoughts are like a locomotive they just go go and go and they just keep going and then stuff comes up from the subconscious mind, you're triggered, and you just go on to that path. You know, it happens automatically. You know, and then someone sends you a nasty email, and all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you go down that path. You know, so unfortunately, the more it happens, the better you get at, oh, okay, I know what this is about, but you're human, so.
0: You just made a video about how boundaries don't work with narcissists. And I have so many people who talk with me about their taking care of a narcissistic parent at home who's elderly and they have to co-parent with someone. There's, there's these situations where people can't escape. What do you say to the people who literally can't escape? And
1: that's a very real thing. Like It's easy to tell someone, go no contact. But I'm an only child my mother's elderly, she has dementia, now she's got cancer, what am I supposed to do? I have a client that's going through something very similar right now. And it really does become about, for me, I had to see my mother as a human being, as a woman. I had to stop looking at her as my mom because when you look at a woman, like your mom who's narcissistic, for instance, as the child, there's this one-up feeling. You feel less than, the energy isn't equal. So I think what we have to do is we have to like renegotiate our perception of our mothers and step out of the child role and see ourselves as the caretaker of this person and kind of balance the energy and accept that we should be treated with respect. And if we aren't, then we need to have a boundary. So we limit our time with this person. We don't do the extra things. You don't put your hand inside the lion's mouth anymore. You go, okay, that's a lion. Okay, she's a little bit ornery today. Okay, don't take it personally, right? You can still love someone who is narcissistic towards the end of their life. And remember, narcissists are, they're very enmeshed with their bodies and their ego. So ego doesn't wanna die and give up to spirit. That's what's so liberating about a near-death experience. It's that, it's a transcendence of ego. I'm not my body, there's more. I don't want to hang on to this crap anymore. All I want to do is love and love everybody. You know, like, it's the greatest, greatest thing ever. It was like so many near-death
0: experiencers like done with that thing. Let's go party.
1: <laughs> I've heard of people say my addictions were gone. I was bulimic before I had a near-death experience and I came back. I didn't have that feeling anymore. I was an alcoholic. I don't have the urge to drink anymore. I mean, it's just, and that, but see, that's the contrast, right? So that's, and that's where someone who has had a near death experience, you got to be really careful. You came back different, they stayed the same, right? And so, you have a, a narcissist, if you think about it energetically, is stuck. The 3D experience is very dense, it's very slow, but that's all a narcissist believes in. And they're trying to manipulate all of this dense stuff in the 3D money, their looks, life, other people's lives, you know. Um, they want success at the expense of other people, right? And you have a near-death experience. You're like, it's irrelevant. You can't take it with you. Like, you know, you're going to get sick and you're going to die, but it's okay. Narcissists don't want to hear that, right? Yeah. You're touching on something
0: that I was going to ask you about. There seems to be a denial at a soul level. So I do, you know, psychic readings and medium readings and I connect with people and in this relationship with the narcissist, I found out about all these other women, all these lies, and at a soul level, I connected with them and I said, hey, why did you lie to me in this lucid right. dream? He <laughs> turned away from me at a soul level and, and that really kind of hit me. I was like, wow, that denial goes that deep. Woo, this is, this is serious stuff. What do, you, what do you make of that?
1: I agree with you. You know, what, in, in my videos, lots of times I say, narcissists are designed to not hear you. So in order to connect with someone on a soul level and have it work, this soul has to be open to being vulnerable, to having empathy, to having the desire to want to care about your personal experience of them. Right. When you're dealing with narcissism, you're dealing with someone who at a soul level has turned from spirit. They can't hear their own spirit. So spirit is like sleeping, you know, I guess in, Maybe in a future lifetime, perhaps, or hopefully, you know, on their timeline, something might happen to stir them. But my guess is that in a lifetime, if someone incarnates and they're narcissistic, um, I, well, research says it too. Someone with NPD is very hard to treat. They think they're smarter than the therapist, they're always trying to get over on the therapist. They think they're right, everybody else is wrong. You can't heal if you can't hear right? If you can't hear what someone else is saying, if you can't hear your own soul, you just hear ego. You just hear ego. And ego is dead. Ego is reactive, right? Ego is trying to manipulate everything. And so I, I agree with you. That was a huge awakening. And also on a quantum level, like, because I was struggling with, with leaving my ex-husband and having three small children. But I got to a point where I was just, I sort of energetically, like, what he doesn't have to be the bad guy. I don't have to be the good guy. It doesn't work. We're not a match. We're just not a match. Some people say at a soul level, he's, he's turned away from his own soul and my soul. Okay. Energetically, you're not a match. It's not gonna work.
0: Yeah, so I wanna dig in a little bit to the ideas that I find hard to articulate and you articulate them so beautifully. There's so much crazy making that goes on in a narcissistic relationship that I can't even explain it. You know, I get to this, Point where I'm like, okay, say you care, and you're trying to understand someone's point of view, and this other person twists your words, and you're in the middle of a conversation where everything you said is completely twisted around, it's not what you meant, and it's almost as if their whole agenda is to make you wrong to make you feel bad. And when that light comes on, it's so confusing, but to articulate that to other people, why is that so hard to explain what's going on right there and what is going on in those moments when someone literally changes your words in the middle of a conversation?
1: I think the first thing that we need to understand is that if you're a logical person, you're trying to make sense out of something that's illogical, so that's confusing. It's really confusing. So you're standing there you're you're opening up your soul. I had a client once tell me that her and her husband, she and her husband separated and decided to get a divorce. And in that time, she started dating someone else, just anticipating, oh, we're going to get divorced, right? Sounds logical to me. He told her, we're going to get a divorce. I don't know how long it's going to take, right? He wants her back. So she tells him, I have to be honest with you. And I have to tell you that I started dating this other person. He flipped it on her. And he said, you only said that because you're trying to hurt me. So she's, she's showing up and saying, no, I want to be honest with you. No, this has nothing to do with you wanting to be honest. All you wanted to do was hurt me, right? She's questioning herself now. Did I tell him to hurt him? Did I really want to show up and be honest? Do I really want to try to make this relationship work on an even level? Did I really want to hear if he dated anybody? And that's okay if he did. We agreed to get divorced. We didn't know how long it was going to take. What's the big deal? He got her to doubt her intentions, right? So when you're you're a logical person, you're trying to understand this person's position. And you, you have to doubt your own reality in order to make that person's narrative fit. So you're you want it to fit, you want to understand this other person. So you literally discount what you think, you take this person's reality into consideration, and you're a kind person, you're an empathic person, you don't want to be narcissistic, so you don't want to you know cut this person off. So your mind is trying, your mind is taking this information and pulling it through the well, maybe I am wrong, because that fits that person's narrative, and if you're wrong. And if you're wrong, then maybe the relationship can work because if you're wrong, you can control it, right? Now, someone else might walk into a relationship like that who's never been gaslit, doesn't have a trauma bond, right? Who hasn't been pulled up one minute and dropped the next, who hasn't had everything that they've said twisted. I know why you said that. You know, that's not what I said. You're crazy. No one trusts what you think. You know, you're such a negative person. You're complaining and the narcissist says, there you go. You're complaining again. You're a logical person. You are complaining. But the reason that you're complaining has been invalidated, but you don't see that because you're in pain and you're a logical person and you know that you're complaining, but they're using that against you. You're being invalidated, but you don't see that. Because you're like, well, I am complaining. I do sound negative. And now you're filled with shame and guilt. Now you're really screwed up because now you want this person's approval. So you seek, you're, you're avoiding a negative outcome and you're also seeking a positive outcome, right? So you want this person's approval. So in order to gain this person's, that's why understanding who you are and becoming the hero in your own story is so important because Who you think you are is more important than what anyone else thinks. So when you start uh, giving someone the power over, well, his opinion of me matters more than my opinion of me. No, 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 no. Pay attention. You have to know if you're that person. You have to know if you're the person that walks into the school building and cares what the PTA moms think about you more than what you think about you. You have to know that. And if you come from a dysfunctional home, chances are you might struggle with that. And that's okay because that can be fixed once you identify it. But you also, I think it's important, trauma victims sometimes come to me and they don't have the words. And I say, the fact that you can't articulate the question represents trauma. So it's okay, I'll do the talking (laughs) for now. And eventually, you'll understand it and you'll have the confidence to string words together to explain how you feel. Because that's what a trauma bond is, that's what blame shifting does, that's what gaslighting does. Someone who's gaslighting you is trying to get you to doubt your reality so you cannot string sentences together. They are triangulating you, they're hedging their bets. So they're talking to their friends about you, to talk to your mom, your dad, whoever, Co-workers, so that when you start complaining, they already think, oh, she's crazy. He warned me about her. He told me she was over emotional. You really start to feel crazy because you can't trust yourself. You're trying to make sense out of something that's illogical and you're filled with shame. It's a terrible thing. So what do you tell people who are able to go no contact,
0: you know, with exes and in situations like that? And Still, it seems that narcissists will find a way, whether it's through social media or contacting your friends or acquaintances or some way to infiltrate into your world to where, you know, you're done, you're, you're zooming along, having a great time, then what? That name pops up, you know, what, how do you, what do you tell to people who go through that experience?
1: It's so, it's maddening because flying monkeys exist and sometimes flying monkeys know that they're flying monkeys, they're gossipers you know, they're negative people, they can't mind their own business. Um, They are seeking the validation of this charismatic narcissist themselves. Um, Sometimes you'll know a flying monkey when you see one, and sometimes you don't. So I think it's important to understand this is not going to be a linear experience. It's going to be a learning experience. So you might trust someone who calls you up and says, hey, you know, um, I bumped into Jack the other day. He told me to say, told me to say hello to you. Now, you know that you told Jack you wanted nothing to do with Jack and you blocked him everywhere. And so now you know that this is a person that's in contact with Jack. So you set the boundary and you say, you know what, I actually asked Jack not to contact me. So, you know, I, I prefer not to talk about him or her in the future. This person is probably gonna go back and tell Jack that. If this person comes back and questions you again, you know, you gotta no con- go no contact with that flying monkey too. So it's it's not a linear thing. You're going to have to go. You're going to make mistakes. It's best to try to hold on to your reaction because I think of narcissists as Dracula. They need your blood. Your reaction is what they're after. So you staying calm and not reacting actually depletes them. So they're kites that are grounded until you breathe life into them with a comments or going back at them. Now you gave, you put wind under that kite. Now they're, now they're going off. Now they, so if you just shutty shutty and starve them, they send you a text for your birthday, block that number. They send you a card, throw it in the garbage. They bump into you at the yoga studio, leave. Um, They go, they suddenly shop at your Trader Joe's, go to another one. You just, they'll, they will get sick of you because they're going to need another source of narcissistic supply fast they're going to need to find a blood bank quick but so you have to have some level you have to have discernment and understand how narcissism works they they trigger you they get your ego up you forget that you're love and light they try to pull you into the 3D that was huge for me oh he wants a reaction from me oh and I'm giving it to him and it's so normal to say, how could you say that? I'm the mother of your children. That's not true. It's so normal to react and want to challenge a narcissist who's smearing your name. It's so, but that's what they want you to do. And when you, t- you take this quantum leap and you go, okay, no problem, no problem. It's an exercise in humility, an exercise in patience and self-control.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge right there. The, the confronting of our own ego. Why is it that they are able to trigger our egos that we can, you know, be just walking along and be absolutely fine. But a narcissist is a expert at getting an ego reaction from someone.
1: Well, we're all human. First of all, you know, we're all human. And we all, if you're human, you have an ego yourself and you're trying to transcend it. You're trying to You need need healthy narcissism in the sense where narcissism is only bad if it's on the extreme end of it, where it's all about me and I'm going to step on other people's heads to get where I have to go. But you have to have some level of healthy narcissism to do what we're doing. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is what I believe in. This is what I'd like to share. But we're not stepping on other people's heads to get our point across, right? We're creating a platform. We hope people participate. and We hope that it enriches their life right? So it's important that we understand that we all have an ego. Now, an ego that is wounded, that has not been dealt with, an ego that is still upset with what other people think about us is going to be easily triggered. That's why healing from codependency, healing from the mother wound, learning how not to be so reactive, allowing other people to have their faulty perception of us, recognizing that it's okay if that no one likes you or It's okay if people dislike you, you don't like everybody either. That's okay, namaste, walk away. So we're going to have to really be mindful. And I think the more we stop during the day and just slow down, and remember that we're more spirit than body, more spirit than mind, and we're more spirit than ego. And this way, if someone comes into our experience, our natural reaction, our natural unconscious reaction is to react. We all have natural ego defense mechanisms. Narcissists are masters at them. They're ninjas. They're, ninja, they're Literally, they're ninjas. Their words are like swords. Your, and your vulnerabilities are what they need to flush out. They need to know, oh, you're worried about the size of your nose? Oh, you're worried about having a flat butt? Oh, you're worried about something else or someone else said something about the way that you walk or the way that you smell whatever it is that you have shared with a with a the narcissist they're going to exploit that to get a reaction out of you because you leaving them is their trigger they're afraid of being abandoned they are addicted to people addicted Someone hopefully on, on the spiritual path, you're, you're dealing with these attachments. And if you've had a near death experience, you've experienced the ultimate detachment. You are not your body. And there is more. So we, I think we have to really remember consciously, and that's why doing this work every day, I have to do it every day. I can't, I have to do it every day. I have to journal, I have to meditate, I have to read, I have to be mindful. I have to remind myself all day, every day, you know, that's a trigger, that's an emotion. You don't have to react to that, you know. So if you talk about that, it's going to get bigger, you know, like.
0: (laughs) I have a, a question, and this is something I struggle to articulate too. I have an understanding that all of this is on a spectrum, you know, that unhealthy narcissism is on a spectrum. So one person can come across something in the dating world or in the work environment, and, you know, it may not be that dramatic, but. It could be unhealthy narcissism, so but then there are malignant narcissists who you know when you encounter one of those there 's just something really different about the energy there 's something that you understand this person and and I'm, this sounds morbid, but I'm not saying that they 're actually murders, but they would really rather kill you than admit to being wrong, you know like they would rather see you dead than admit that they have any fault, and that 's like a really weird awareness when you 're you're empathetic and understanding enough to finally get it. And that's usually where no contact goes with parents and no contact goes in a relationship when you realize that moment. So what? how do you navigate the spectrum, though, where people are not that bad, you know, like that dark, but they're just somewhere on that spectrum? What do you say to people?
1: I think it's um, situational. So if I'm at work and you know I have a narcissistic coworker that monopolizes the conversation, or who does less work than everybody else, but claims the work as, as, as her own, right? So she's mildly annoying, right? I'm still getting my salary. Um, I speak up for myself. I don't get caught in the office politics. She's really not affecting me. She, she's exposing herself over time. Now, I could become really irritated by this person, especially if I focus on it, but I can't control it. But if I focus on, on my own work and I put my best foot forward right, and I allow her to create her own karma, I whistle while I work. I just focus on myself and she's the gnat. Okay, okay. She's going to get the vibe, like, don't mess with me. Like, I'm not interested. right? You want to make sure you don't give her too much of your time because she'll monopolize it. She'll want to pull you and talk about that person over there or, talk, or get you to do her work. So you have to be aware of how you feel around certain energies. If you feel like constricted, you are, we're all, in my opinion, we're all hooked up to the one universal mind. Every truth is registered. So when someone's talking to me and I see something that I'm like, oh, I'm hooked up to the universal mind. I don't know why I don't trust that person. I just don't. But I trust that I don't. It might be something that I need to work out myself that I see in this person that bothers me about myself. That could be but I'm gonna be open enough to see it, right? But I am we all are hooked up to the universal mind. We all have red flags and we all ignore them most of the time, you know, until we realize I'm not doing that anymore. So I think that we have to discern how we feel around certain people. And we also have to know that the more I focus on something I can't control, the more power I give it. Now, a malevolent, an evil person, and I don't know about you, but I've been in the company of people that feel so old that it's frightening. I just—it's a chill that comes over me, and I can't always explain it, and I don't try because then you—you don't even know this person. Okay, something tells me that I, my daughter, my daughter dated someone for a very short amount of time. When this kid walked in my house, both daughters actually dated boys. But the one that I'm referring to, when he walked into my house, I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. And I tried to explain to my daughter, like, not good. And I was right. And she had a very terrible experience with this person. And I said to her, this is the type of person you go absolutely no contact with. She has changed her Instagram. She has changed Facebook. He still finds her and he does it to taunt her but i try to explain to her that this this type of a, this type of an energy who enjoyed humiliating you he enjoyed humiliating you he got pleasure out of humiliating you there was no empathy it wasn't empathy impairment like a narcissist uh garden stake uh, well a garden snake garden variety narcissist right empathy impaired but there are people, men and women on the on the, the spectrum that actually enjoy watching you struggle. There is absolutely none. So there is a chill and we have to trust ourselves to discern that. When we bump into this type of person, I say no contact, no eye contact even. Do not make eye contact with that person's soul. Do not. I say, turn turn your heart from this person, protect your heart space, put your hands across your heart, do everything you can to like Mm-mm, not dealing with this one Mm-mm, you have to cross yourself
0: yeah there's I do something like this I cross my arms I do, I do that in the the presence of, uh, of something that chills me and early on in my near-death experience I was uh, stalked and it's lasted for decades and um, that is you know an awareness that I do like to put out there in the world that there are some people on that level of narcissism that if they can't they're so fragile that if they can't have something, they're gonna create harm in that person's life in any way that they can. And that's that's a, a weird level of narcissism, but it exists.
1: It does exist. And you know, we all wanna believe, and I we all wanna believe that we're safe. It's very, it's very debilitating and frightening for us to think that these types of people exist. It 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 bothers us to think that these people are packing our groceries at the grocery store driving around in the car you know that we they literally are walking amongst us it's very destabilizing to some people and that's why i think awareness is huge because living living in fantasy land not knowing that they exist on social media they exist on your dating app they're looking for you sweetheart i've coached people and holy cow Within, a, with one two, within one or two sessions, I know that my client is being catfished. Absolutely no. But my client feels abandoned, an alcoholic mother, and wants to be loved. And this person is telling her she's beautiful. He's always going to be there for her. He can't wait to meet her. Right? And after five or six phone calls in, he needs a gift card. He needs a wallet. He needs money because his car broke down. And she's giving right love bombed her, got her on the hook, validated her right and meanwhile he is draining her bank account right this is these narcissists exist there are I, I would, could, really can't call them companies, but let's just say there are groups of people who band together who seek out wounded people online. be very careful what you share on social media there's somebody wanting to see your vulnerability and they're willing to exploit it. So the answer is to fill yourself up and get well.
0: Yeah, this, this is important for people, this information. I, I'm glad you're saying it because I don't know how to say it to people sometimes, but there is this knowing that, you know, especially a lot of my followers are in their late thirties to the fifties, sixties. Mm-hmm. And so we're dealing with a divorced population, you know, and and that is, do you think that there's more narcissists out there, you know, in that population, you know, in that age demographic?
1: I would say that there are more, I think, well, studies have proven that um, narcissism is on the rise, that doing studies with college kids that come in and they ask them to take this, this narcissistic quiz, um, and they're finding that over the past 20 years, I think it's very, it's it's in line with social media but over the past 20 years narcissism seems to be on the rise and these these children are, or young adults are confusing uh, self confidence with arrogance and self esteem with entitlement and the desire for power with you know self esteem no, no 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 and so there are there is there are there are more narcissists being created there are more narcissists in the world today However, I do think that there are more narcissists who are willing to target deliberately. You know, you you bump into. I've dated men who are on the narcissistic spectrum. They didn't know they were narcissists. They were just like real jerks, like narcissistic jerks, right? Like, but they weren't intentionally. They didn't go out into the dating pool looking for a prey you know, looking for someone. But then the last person I dated actually was that guy. And that brought me to my knees. I was, I was sought out. I was investigated. I was learned, right? He studied me. Yeah. That. And that's frightening. So explain to me why
0: a narcissist would target someone who has survived abuse and is coming out talking about it and they're healing, but there are some narcissists who detect like, oh, this person has been abused, I'll target her.
1: Um, I, I, think that, I think that anytime it's intentional, we're talking about another realm, like psych, psychopathy. You know, like someone who's like psychopathic, like they know what they're doing. You know, um, and they have an agenda. You know, the person that I'm talking about was I hadn't written my book yet, but I was a personal trainer. Um, I had written articles online, so I was into health and wellness. I owned my own home. Um, I told, I talked about my story about reinventing myself, creating another business. So he knew there was trauma there with my family, my parents, and. So he knew, and they used it. The, he created an entire story that was similar to mine, right? I felt seen, I felt heard. This, and I didn't, we spoke on the phone for six months. I thought I did everything right. I thought I was betting him out. I, I hadn't even considered that there was a type of narcissist that was above, you know, a narcissist that was the run of a mill, arrogant, grandiose, chauvinistic you know, um, man, in my case, Um, it it hadn't even crossed my mind that there was someone out there above that in terms of their intention. And we had a very short relationship, but Westchester County detectives came to my house and explained that I had been targeted by this person. He had targeted seven or eight other women, all professional women, and his agenda was to steal their house. Oh my goodness. He had seduced a real estate attorney who had helped him secure another house from another person. So when I realized I was caught up in this entire web, I felt like a failure as a person. You know, how could I not see this coming, you know? It really rocked me to my core. But again, trying to be the hero of my own story, I asked myself, well, what did I learn? And what I learned was I ignored red flags because my intuition on a number of occasions said, this doesn't feel right. There was a car ride where he said to his friend, this would be a good place to bury her body. That's not a nice thing to say. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <He actually laughs> to his friend and said, wow, it was a wooded area. He goes, oh, this would be a good place to bury her body. About me. Wow. And I went, <laughs> and this is it. Your mind doesn't want to believe that you heard that. It's too painful to think I'm in a car with someone who has these types of thoughts, right? It's too painful. I would much rather believe, the, I'd much rather believe in the cognitive bias that I have that he helped create for, five, for six months. So cognitive bias happens. You meet a narcissist who buttered you up, love bombs you, you create a cognitive bias. This person's awesome, You believe their story. So when a red flag shows up, you have cognitive dissonance. Uh -uh. I'd much prefer the cupcake story than what it feels like so we have to really help people help them understand why they feel this way why they're struggling with the red flag because the right thing to do is to confront the red flag why would you say something like that that's a really sick thing to say and then look for the reaction because now this person knows you're no dummy you're going to call them out and they might discard you because you might end up being too much trouble. So we have to empower people to say, why did you say that? But that starts with how do you feel, which is a boundary, which is I'm not afraid to be abandoned by you. I'm not afraid for you to reject me or be angry at me because I honored myself. But this all goes back again to the mother wound. So if I'm struggling with abandonment, then I fear rejection. And so I am so much more apt to ignore a red flag because subconsciously I'm fearing rejection and this relationship feels so good because he's love-bombed me and I feel seen. So everything
0: is about getting your own power back because a lot of times it's been taken from you as a kid. You know, I, I joke that I felt drained by the time I was 18 that here I was supposed to take on the world, enter college, and, and then I was like, oh, I have nothing in the tank. Absolutely. Nothing and you know, from both parents and in different ways. And that was this feeling that I understand all too well, is just being completely drained. So much of life has been a regaining of power of just taking it back. And and it sounds like your courses do this, your meditations do this. What, what are your best tips? We'll end on this for just regaining all that power that's been leaked.
1: I think the first thing that I wanted to, to just say is that you say that you were drained. I don't think that you were ever filled up, right? As a child, our, our connections to our parents are supposed to be filling us up, right? So then we can be drained. But I think children like you, children like myself, it was a constant psychological leaking. Like I couldn't hit the next milestone, the emotional milestones. I just couldn't get there, right? So it was like treading water. You know, I grew up physically, but I was a six month old that still wanted a hug, you know, like, and now, and like you said, now I have to go out and make decisions and take on the world. Like, how is this possible? You know, so I think it's important that everyone understands that you're supposed to feel seen. When your mother and father look into your eyes and they mirror back, you are enough. Your love tank, as John Bradshaw would say, is beginning to fill up, right? you make a mistake and mommy says, I still love you, your love tank fills up, right? You come home and you cry and mommy listens to you and she helps you work it out, your love tank fills up, right? So now at 18, bye everybody, you're ready to go. You're filled up, right? So I think that's a really important thing for people to understand, so offer themselves self-compassion. The good news is that we have the potential to be our own light source, our own lighthouse, right? But not through the eyes of the, wounded inner child. It has to be through higher consciousness. It has to be through an awakening. It has to be through, wait a minute. I know that I'm enough. That's actually a fact. And what steps can I hold on to in the now to reinforce this over? Oh, there's a negative thought. Well, that's not even true. I am enough or, Oh, I felt that person was mean to me and I'm seeking their validation. Well, I don't want to seek the validation of an evil person. So let me let this relationship go. You know what? I'm not available Friday. You know what? I'm going to send a a big fight. I'm just going to start pulling away. So I think it's important that we recognize that we can fill ourselves up, but we can't do it from the place of the wounded inner child. That's like a three-year-old trying to empower a three-year-old. You can't do it. You have to understand that, that you have a higher self. So awakening your consciousness, right, will help you do that. So one of the tools I can I can offer is one of the, I think it's one of the most powerful I offer. It's called the one two three process. I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about it. So we get stuck. We get stuck in feeling. We don't know how to process it. We're triggered. The amygdala is triggered, and we need the prefrontal lobe to get turned on, right? Because when you're triggered, the times the timekeeper of the brain shuts off. Now access to the prefrontal lobe, which is logic and reason, gets shut off. We're literally Three years old again, or four years old again, the body actually responds, Oh, I remember what this felt like. And in that moment, if we're not careful, we can get stuck in an earlier trauma and we can't speak, or we start feeling like we're three, we feel completely powerless, we have the CPTSD response, it's natural. But we have to remember that if we get stuck in the emotion, it's gonna be very, very difficult to override and get to the next step. So I created the one, two, three process. So the first step, whenever you feel something, remember it's awareness We're after, oh, I feel something, feel it, accept it. Number one, accept it. If you're angry, accept it. If you're jealous, accept it. If you're envious, accept it. If you feel guilty, accept it. If you feel shame, just for a moment, accept it. Don't layer, I'm pissed off, I'm pissed off. No, 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 I'm depressed, I'm sad. No, no, just be sad. I'm angry. I'm angry. Just be angry, right? Don't layer. And you feel so you accept how you feel. The second step is connect to your body. How do you know that you're angry? How do you know? For me, I know that I'm off center because I feel like something just punched me in the chest. Then I feel like a constriction. I'm on high alert. I've been taken out of my out of the flow. So that's what my body says. Uh-oh, pay attention because I am on a quantum level hooked up to the, the universal mind. And I'm being sent at you know laser time, I'm being sent information that my conscious mind doesn't understand yet. So I'm understanding something's wrong. The third step is to decide what you're gonna do about how you feel. This is where we turn the brain back on. We turn the prefrontal lobe back on. We give ourselves permission to think about the way that we feel. So I need to make a decision here because this is an action-based world. I'm a physical being. I have fingers. I have a mouth. I have toes. I'm supposed to be doing something, right? Most of the time we just freeze and we do what we've always done. No. The third step is decide what you're going to do about how you feel. So you ask yourself, what about this can I control? What about this can't I control? And ultimately, how do I want to feel? So whatever decision I make about how I feel has to be in alignment with how I want to feel on a daily basis. This does a number of things. It gives your brain a goal. Most people don't have a goal. They don't know how they want to feel. They just feel, right? So they're feathers in the wind. I know I want ease in my life. No BS. Very little chaos, unnecessary drama, right? I don't want to go down rabbit holes. I don't don't want unnecessary craziness, right? So I know that I want peace. So I already know that I have to make a decision about how I feel that's going to net me peace, right? So if everyone knew, I want to wake up and today I want to feel grateful, awesome. Today I want to feel abundant, amazing. Today I want to feel peaceful, great. Now your brain knows, uh uh-oh, whatever happens today, peace. I get into a car accident, can I control that this person just banged into me, no. Can I control that I'm nervous about it, no. I am nervous about it and that's okay. It's okay. Can I control that? My car was, my car was, you know, totaled? No. But what can I control? I can control how I get out of the car. Am I going to go yell at this person? Am I going to make a phone call calmly? Am I going to call the insurance company? How do I want to feel? I want to feel peaceful. Okay. So I have to react as peace as peacefully as possible, even though I'm nervous because I want, peace. So everything that happens next, I'm not going to bring drama to it because that's just going to put more drama into the three D, into the matrix. So if I bring equanimity under duress to the situation, because I want peace, I'm going to have an easy time with the insurance company. The tow truck driver is going to show up. He's going to be a doll or she's going to be a doll. Everything's going to go much easier because I've claimed I want peace. So if in this, you could use the one, two, three process in anything. Your mother-in-law says something, they ask you about you. Can you control that? No. You have rights to be angry. How do you know you're angry? Okay, feel it. What do you want to do about it? You can't control, she said it. What can you control? Well, you can control whether or not you, you make it worse and go back at her, call your sister-in-law. You don't have to go to Sunday dinner. You can stay back. You can let your husband and your ch- children go if they want to, right? You can set boundaries. You can go take a bath. You can journal about it. Right, so I think it's it helps us get out of the trauma response and moves us into a place where i I now have the power to think about the way that I feel, and now now that I have a direction, I have a goal, right, and i can I can make decisions that are in alignment with that goal, now all of a sudden, I'm creating momentum in a positive direction.
0: So that's yeah, that's very helpful <laughs> and. To end, I want you to just tell people about what you do in your classes and workshops if they want to sign up and and, uh, yeah, just, I'd love to hear more.
1: Thanks. So I I created um, a a business that I wish that I had when I was coming out of codependency and narcissistic abuse. So I have the 12-week breakthrough coaching program and that's a program that you can work live with me and my coaches, I have five live coaches. You can actually work with me inside the program and on Facebook for 12 weeks. And that's a video, a journaling prompt, meditation, homework assignments, um, and, and a live, live stream every, every week with me that I answer questions. And then you can also purchase it on demand for half off the original price. Um, and this really helps you break through the subconscious patterns and reprogram your mind and do basically what we just said, become a hero in your own life. Then I have a warrior membership, that's a monthly membership. I also offer live streams there. Um, I have a, a boundary building workbook that people can go purchase. Um, I have a 12 part advanced audio codependency series, which is helping people. So yeah, just go to my website.
0: And one thing you've said, or that was said on your website that I really like is we need each other. We understand each other. When we've been through this, there's this piece that happens the same way, you know, when near death experiencers find this understanding in someone like we need community.
1: It's so, research proves it. Research proves that people who have a support system where they, they go and they feel like I can just be myself, right, it, it enhances the healing experience. It helps you feel seen. It helps you hit those psychological milestones. And you suddenly feel like you have a big sister or a big brother that you never had or an aunt or an uncle who's like, yeah, I've been there. You know, this is what I did then. You suddenly feel supported. You know, we're very much social creatures you know, and our brains are built for socialization. And when we live in fear, we isolate and we don't do well. We get depressed. We feel disempowered. We feel hopeless. So we've come to evolve, right? But when you don't trust, you devolve You stay small. And so when you're in a community, especially a community that's run well, a community where there is no tolerance for like unnecessary conflict, there is complete acceptance of whatever a member has to share, right? That's a safe zone, right? Especially because you, you got to be careful. Some communities aren't run like that, but I have eight um, moderators in my large Facebook group and we we meet regularly and we have zero tolerance. And it's not easy to do. We have almost, we have 16,000 plus community members. It's not so easy to do because sometimes we get the who is attacking and we know we have no tolerance for it you know so but if you you're you can be part of a community where you feel supported and the people running the group have been there and they can help you through it is it's proven science has proven that that helped your recovery and then you get to help someone
0: beautiful beautiful well thank you so much and i'll of course provide the links below to anyone who is looking at uh a snippet or the whole thing uh but thank you so much lisa for the work you do and for talking to me today it meant the world to me it's a lot of help
1: sharing your experiences with other people you know and creating a mission-based business and hopefully we're inspiring other people to do the same yes amen well have a great day <laughs>